Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Defense! Defense! All the hard work, let's go! College football today. Back on college football today, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and Gabe Morenci talking about all the key and top 25 battles today. We left off with Texas Tech and Texas. We're going to turn our attention to the 3:30 matchup in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Mississippi State. Which this is an intriguing battle because last year Alabama went into Starkville, won that matchup 31 to 24, needed a late touchdown by Jalen Hurts to Calvin Ridley to secure that victory. Alabama, since 2008, has won 10 straight by 21.9 points per game. I think Mississippi State's in this matchup, but in the end, Alabama does prevail after last week's dominating road win over the LSU Tigers. What'd you say, 21.9? Yeah. Is, is what the average is over the last 10 years? Uh, I, keeping it in that sort of mathematical realm, Alabama has not won a game by less than 22 yeah. points this year. So, you know, three touchdowns north every single week. You got to wonder if there's a little bit of a let up at some point after the big LSU win last week. Uh, Mississippi State's playing very well. I mean, Joe Moorhead gradually has pieced things together. Nick Fitzgerald playing well. They're starting to get the running game cranking. But most of all, defensively, Mississippi State quietly playing about as well as anyone in the country. We've talked about Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat uh, up front. They're good throughout that defense. So can they contain Alabama long enough? That's the question for this game. Gabe. You want to hear a statistic about Alabama? You said this was the best team that you've seen in Alabama since 2016, guys. It's the best Bama team. Since 2016, Alabama is 23-1 against the SEC. 23-1 and has won those 23 games by 28.3 points per game. How head and shoulders above every team in the in the conference are they at this point? Yet every week we hear people make a case for the other team. I did. This is the toughest <laughs> defense they've faced. Their schedule. They haven't played anybody. I heard someone say that again this week. Wow, they really haven't played anyone. Didn't we go through this? Have you not watched them play for the last eight years? You know, this is a dynasty. The dynasty is probably the best college football team ever. Actually, you know, let, let's just be real. I mean, listen, they have to win the championship. You have to finish it to actually, you know, get that accomplishment. But, you know, for the carryover from the championship team into this year, Saban's brought the game to a new level, as you stated. There's Alabama and there's everybody else. But the question is, you always have to worry. And as you stated, Rich, they are human, right? I mean, are they are they cyborgs? Are they robots? Because they, they don't have letdowns. 
And truth be told, you look at Michigan. Michigan really has it either. They, you know, that's what separates these teams from the top. Since that, since that loss, Joe's uh, you know snickering. You're scaring me. He's wearing the jersey and he's talking about. Joe Michigan thinks in this the jersey's state. bad luck. So he saw. Could me you wearing, imagine you know, if Dave? Well, is, I guess they're playing Rutgers. You can Dave wear. Dave is in the house. So and what, Rutgers let, pulls you the upset today. That's what we well, play we, the Buckeyes, right? Then I will jump across the table. We're gonna roll around on the floor if Michigan uh, loses. Look for loses. me in section 119. I'll be in the good seats. <laughs> Uh, today, so uh, <laughs> well, but, let me let me. Yeah, Alabama's just you know, as a Michigan fan, you know, make the playoffs. I don't want to be in that four hole and, and get Alabama out of the gate. But you're right; it could be somewhat. I don't know if a letdown, but you know, are they invincible? It doesn't mean they lose, but are they going to roll? We got to ride it. It's nine and zero in the first half. All right, we're laying 14 points. I got it at 14. It's starting to climb right now because you, know, you laid it or you took it. I laid the 14 in the first half. Yeah, I, I, the only I've way, taken these guys in the first half almost every week. The only way Miss State can win, I mean, cover this number, they have to run the football with Nick Fitzgerald. They, they, there is no way control the clock. It's, it's, almost, away. Yeah, it's almost what they do is one thing. The only way they win is if Bama doesn't show up. It's almost you know your greatest enemy is yourself. It's Bama can beat themselves. Mississippi State doesn't beat Bama today. Mississippi State doesn't cover against Bama today. If they cover today, it's because Alabama somehow, you know, went through the motions, which I just don't see them doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and to me, that's the most remarkable aspect of this run that Nick Saban has had, and that yeah. the staff changes, right, Gabe, year after year, yeah. new assistants, new offensive new coordinators, coordinators all the time. new defensive coordinators. To me, the most remarkable aspect is it is so difficult to maintain that edge. And let's be to real, Rich. That- you know better than anybody. Coming back this year, this was the year that people sort of stated. You know, they're really not as loaded as they normally are. You know, they're sort of starting over. They lost a lot of talent to the NFL over the last couple of years. I believe they replaced 14 starters, essentially. Guys are at least, you know, starters or guys in a nickel and dime package. 14 guys that played a lot. They really sort of started over this year, Joe. If you look at their roster, there were a couple of holdovers in the backfield, etc. But this is a fresh, new, dynamic, young Alabama team. Joe, maybe that's their secret weapon. Maybe their secret weapon is you you get that passion, you get that intensity because these are fresh faces that we really haven't seen. Yeah. Tua, for all the notoriety he has now, he he was a new and we didn't he's know a newcomer he was to be the this lineup. good either. Yeah. I mean, I, who knew this, right? I thought, okay, your kid kind of came in, had a nice half, let's not second coming here. You know, look, if Marcus Mariota was the first overall pick of the draft or second overall pick of the draft, What's this kid? And they get they get holdovers. They got Savion Smith from LSU. That was a five star recruit. Went to JUCO. Now he's starting. So I mean, they get uh, outside guys as well. They get the top five recruits in the nation. And they also get holdovers. A couple of years ago, they got Garrick Dieter from Bowling Green. That was a thousand yard receiver. So they get complimentary complimentary players that people, fill people in. People want to be in roles. Tuscaloosa, of course, yeah, and, and not even, just not just uh, players, but also coaches. Look at Josh uh, Josh Gaddis was yep. the receiver. First coach well, for Penn point. State. They did a phenomenal job. It gets you with bigger those... jobs. You exactly. go to Alabama, it's a you, Cristobal you become was head coach. You're exactly Mario right. Cristobal was Sarkeesian, there. Sarkeesian, I mean, Kiffin was there. Sarkeesian yeah. now, he's yep. the offensive Sarkeesian coordinator. Sarkeesian's actually starting to do a good job. Yeah. Atlanta. Players, you get to the NFL. Coaches, you get a better job after. You're right. It's just, it just is. Uh, but what's amazing to me, and Saban is kind of known as a grumpy guy, in real life, he's actually funny. I'm not friends with him, but I know people he's that do know. He's a player's coach. Yeah. He is a player's coach. That's the coach. thing that I was going to say. You don't hear scandals. He locked me in a shed. 
He treated his players poorly. You know, he said something demeaning to the team. You don't hear this stuff with him. Right. As crazy as he is with the media, he's actually fun with the team. And another thing is, too, he picks his spots, guys. He doesn't run them into the ground every week. If they're playing Tennessee, he's not a nut job. It's not like, ah, oh, every week, hey. It's like, all right, you know, he, he'll let the assistants handle it. I saw him talking about how he used to be more gung-ho and he's learned how to take the pedal off the metal because he stated the stakes are so high, you can't put that much pressure on the kids every week. And, you know, that's just genius coaching. Well, I remember what Lynn Kiffin was saying. Kiffin said, you know, he hates my play calls. He goes, in deep down inside, coach doesn't like the passing and this new stuff. But he understands we're in 2016 now at the time, right? The kids want to play. He evolves. That's what it is. He evolves. Coaches that get stuck. By God, I did this and I won a championship 12 years ago in his playbook. That doesn't work anymore. That's what makes Saban the best. He evolves with the times. You know what he hasn't evolved with, though? His hair dye. I mean, he's using. Dude, he looks younger the, now than yes, he did. No, he doesn't. His State. hair is yellow. You he can looks see great. it. On the, I, he's he's got to be. He's what? He's 60, 70 he's years old. 70. Well, he's 67. No, 67. Phenomenal. Look at picture. Look know. at him with Michigan I, State. I know. He, yes. He, he has gray hair. Yes. He but went his gray hair early. Is yellow on the side there. I, I suggest he. I hope that I'm as good in good shape and I'm succeeding as much as he is at 67. He is a players coach. I did. I spoke to Marcus Spears back from LSU in Dallas before he moved to the SEC network, and I said, "Tell me about Saban." He goes, "One thing about Saban that he told me before while I was at LSU, he goes, I wanted to be a tight end." And he said to me, "Marcus, you want to play in the NFL?" He said, "Yeah." He goes, "We're moving you to the defensive end. You'll, you'll be thanking me. You'll be thanking me later." And he goes, "It was the best." change that coach ever made for me as a as a player because he he extended my and career he, he, he wasn't a player's paid. coach in the nfl it's just different right he was it wasn't his element let's not bring that up yeah because, uh, yeah okay you're a dolphin okay, fan yeah right remember yeah. the famous uh dante Chris culpepper over dante culpepper over drew Brees. where was uh you know nick saban's you know you know his football genius yeah where was it then you know oh dante culpepper drew Brees. i'll take yeah, him you got him started he, he never loses a damn culpepper he never loses a damn game until he takes over your team and doesn't know what he's doing Hard, man, i hope he takes over the bills next <laughs> I think that, that might be why joe is always picking against bam no right? that's <laughs> not why but no 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 he, I, again if people forget though he is evolved as a coach i mean in michigan state when he had guys like Robert Smith and Cedric Irvin and Gus Ornstein, he was not a coach that held leads number one and couldn't coach that talent up. Each and every year, he had guys like Plaxico Burris, Bill Burke. They had top 10 talent, but he didn't evolve the way he has now with integral parts, integral coaches. And I give him a lot of credit because yeah. he's, found his, he's found his niche. And he's coached it up. And best modern-day coach, I mean, again, it's a different landscape mm -hmm. now, but best modern-day college football co coach around. Well, a couple of things. Uh, you know, Gabe had mentioned he has evolved. Mm -hmm. He's kind of, you know, sort of taken his foot off the gas. He's learned to dabble in different offensive right. schemes. Les Miles didn't, and that's yeah. why Les Miles is no longer at LSU. That's number one. And, and then my other point, just to piggyback off of what you guys have said, I think this, it's never going to be a kinder, gentler Nick Saban. I don't think he's ever going to get soft. But the fact that he's been able to sort of tamp it down, delegate a little bit more, I think that means more longevity. It's entirely up to him. I mean, he looks healthy. He certainly hasn't lost anything off his fastball. So if this guy wants to be there, I think if another he wants three championships, to, maybe he gets to yeah, 10. I mean, he, he, that's he's the goal. Definitely, he's got his sights set on seven. Seven will. But he's moving just, on. 
He's you moving know, on to 70 years old. Like you said, he's 67, 66, he'll probably not 67. probably leave when he's 70. I say yeah. 70 is Three the years? I, I yeah. think so. I think 70. You never I know. wouldn't he be shocked if he went longer. He, I think there are certain people that are wired. It's, it's the old, uh, you know, a lot of coaches are worried what happened to Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant always worried that when I retire, I'll die shortly after that because I'll have nothing left in my life. And what did Bear do? He retired and he died shortly thereafter. And, and a lot of older coaches... The ones who, that's all they know, they're afraid of leaving the game. They're Different afraid of college football, though, I think back then. That's the only thing where it was, the, it was more, he, it was the, the actual recruiting. He's built such a program now that the recruiting, like you said, it's just sit back and drive the bus. Yeah. Kids want to go to Alabama. Sure. I think the only thing that might, you know, curtail him uh, from going past 70 is an NFL team giving him full control. He, yeah, I don't think he would go back to the NFL. Yeah, you never know. He failed in that regard. He's, yeah. he's a competitor. Maybe. You know, uh, that's the only thing. We'll see. We'll see how that game plays out. 3.30 on uh, CBS. Check that out. I- I'm picking Miss State. You're, you're with Yes, them? no, I like the points. I'll take you're, the points. Yeah, we're all yeah. taking the points. You're taking the points or you're laying the wood game? I'm laying 14 in the first half. First half. Okay. So yeah. we'll see how that game plays out. I like so. the overs, too. Alabama's been an over machine. It's yeah. like 52 only. Yeah, but They're my, averaging 51 points yeah. per game. So My play, though, is I laid 14 in the first half. All right, so we'll see how that game plays out. 3.30. We'll turn our attention to the 7 o'clock game. The SEC's old this rivalry, 123rd meeting between Auburn and Georgia. Auburn uh, did win in the regular season last year, and then Georgia did get the SEC championship game 28-7. to Georgia's won four of the last six by 15.3 points per game. I think Georgia might win, but I'm taking the points with Auburn. They showed me something battling uh, in the fourth quarter. I think it's a very close ball game uh, in Sanford Stadium. I uh, tend to agree with you. I- I'm not in any way suggesting that that Georgia is going to be you know facing a letdown after Kentucky, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that they have wrapped up very early. I mean, there's no intrigue with the SEC. It's going to be Georgia versus Alabama in Atlanta, December the 1st. Uh, Georgia filling out the eastern half of the SEC for the second straight year. And, you know, Auburn did impress with yep. the way they came back last week. That was Resolve. a gutsy they comeback win. Resolve. They did, and they showed a lot of fight. Here's what it comes down to for me, and the reason why I think this will be a closer-than-the-line-says type of a game. Georgia's offensive line is banged up. I mean, they really have been brutalized over the past couple of weeks. Now you have to go up against that front seven of Auburn. The strength of Auburn is their defensive line led by Derrick Brown. So I think Auburn can control the line of scrimmage, maybe keep Georgia from completely popping off in the ground game. Georgia looks like Georgia again. Georgia looks like a team that can conceivably compete for a spot in the playoff. They got to get through Alabama. But this week, though, I think they take a step back and uh, maybe win by nine or ten points over Auburn. Not in love with this game from a betting perspective. I have a hard time trusting Auburn. I really do. Do you? Yeah, and people have been on and off the, the Auburn wagon. I mean, it's two weeks ago, guys, we were sitting here last week talking about how Gus Malzahn could get bought out, right? He is. It's though. like people buy people, you know, it's amazing. People think Auburn are great one week and Jared Stidham this, and then the next week Jared Stidham sucks, his stock is dropping, Gus Malzahn's getting fired. And then the next week it's like, ah, oh, they're, 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 they're playing well now. I just don't get a real feel for this Auburn team. And I'm with you. This Georgia team isn't last year's Georgia team. You know, Swift got it going last week a bit. The quarterback play, their offense isn't as dynamic. They're a good Georgia team. I think they sort of win around the number. I can't make a strong gambling argument. Like, it wouldn't Georgia by 10-ish. But I don't like Auburn enough to put my harder and money down.
The statistic out in Vegas is every Georgia victory has been by 14 or more, so that validates the 14-point number. But, again, it's a rivalry it game. Is, yeah. And, and I, again, I think it's a lower-scoring game. And I, I, we spoke about it when Georgia uh, defeated Kentucky. We said, wow, DeAndre Swift, Rich, looks like DeAndre Swift uh, as of last yeah. year. Oh, Those yeah. cuts that he made in Lexington, I mean, were next-level cuts. I mean, he's a, a definite playmaker on Sunday. So they're going to need to run the football. There's a balanced offense i don't think it could be carried solely on jake Fromm. again i still like uh auburn but i think it's a lower scoring battle as well in terms of that matchup gabe mentioned uh gus and i, I that, that was something i wanted to talk about too uh, I, some of the uncertainty was removed this week i know it's the dreaded vote of confidence but with the money that he would be owed at million, auburn right? quite a bit yeah the, the somewhere in the eight digits that he would be owed I think Auburn basically said, listen, let's let's cut down on the talk. Let's finish the season without there being any swirling controversy about the future of our head coach. And I, I think that helps Auburn. I, I think that gives a little ounce of stability to Gus. He'll be back next year. He's not going to be fired regardless of what happens here. Uh, I think that helps Auburn, too. And, and I'll go back to one of my earlier points in the first hour, which is, you know, Auburn had this up and down schizophrenic year. We don't know what to expect from inconsistency, but this is a rivalry game. There's not a single kid in that Auburn locker room that does not desperately want to beat Georgia. They need it to validate their season, which has gone south. So I think Auburn keeps it close. Uh, this is one of my better bets of the day. Here's the only thing that I, when you said about, and I, I agree with you, I'm on Auburn as well, but if they do lose, let's say they cover, but they lose. You know, let's look at some of the teams in terms of the vote of confidence. They lost to LSU. They lost to Tennessee. They'll lose to Georgia and possibly Alabama. Alabama. So you're already so, making my point from what I was just talking about. But, but, no, but, that, but that's, I, I mean, I, and that's why people feel about, about Auburn, they're schizophrenic because they're expecting them to step up and they haven't done it. I thought they were a little point. overhyped coming into the year being a top five football team. Yeah, we'll see. We'll talk about it on the back end. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and Gabe Morenci, live from Studio 34. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Rocking and rolling into week number 11 of the college football season. Talking about all the big matchups. We discussed Auburn and Georgia. Turn our attention to that battle in the Big 12 between West Virginia and TCU. Again, TCU's won four of the last five over the West Virginia Mountaineers. They picked up this victory last year, 31-24. As a 14-point favorite, Rich, did not cover that number. Will Greer and the crew were in a position to strike the upset I think they dominate this game. I don't think it's close in any capacity. 20 points or more, the Mountaineers uh, prevail in this ballgame. Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. My only concern, if you want to talk about a concern, would be maybe minor emotional letdown for West Virginia after the big win uh, in Austin last week. Now you come home against a TCU team that's under 500 and reeling. But I don't see it. I think uh, West Virginia has too much on offense. Defense playing modestly well, I guess by the Big 12 measuring stick, by the West Virginia measuring stick, they're playing well. But Will Greer is a mature kid. He's married, 
has a kid of his own, uh, a leader of that offense. I think they dominate against TCU, which is struggling offensively, had a hard time, lost, what, to Kansas a couple of weeks ago? 14-13, yeah. they lost no, to they, Kansas. They, they beat Kansas, they, they but held they, on. Were laying, they, they were late. They can't hold the lead. I mean, and, and they can't score. Points. They're struggling to score as well. So I like West Virginia as they move closer to what is maybe – one of the top five regular season games left on the schedule, West Virginia versus Oklahoma, yeah, which uh, could decide a lot in the Big and 12. That's the thing, too. I mean, do you take I, – I, I could see – I know this game a couple of years ago in Morgantown. It was windy. It was a lower-scoring game. And Dana Holgerson and the crew, I believe, got the victory in that matchup. I, I, again, I, I don't see a lot of points here from TCU. I'm not sold on Michael Collins. But, I mean, what's uh, – I think it's I think it's West Virginia and the under in this ball game. I don't like the over here. You like it? I'm leaning with the over. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I'm leaning, I'm leaning with the over here. I think West Virginia just sort of get it going, put up, you know, 45, 48 points. Is it five is low. Then that for a college football game? Yeah. I mean I But think- listen, I don't love the total. If I had to lay it, I don't think very much of TCU. And this goes back to I uh, remember we were discussing that lightning game against SMU on that Friday night. Yeah. You know, you could tell their their offensive struggles. I knew they were going to be um, offensively challenged to throw the football, um, seeing them that night. And subsequently, as I said, you know, the air is a little bit out of this program right now. It is that classic letdown spot for West Virginia. But for me, it's West Virginia. The total, I'd lean with the over. But uh, I would go with the Mountaineers here. Didn't yeah. make. I can't bet every game though. It's fifty six and a half, which is low for a West Virginia game. I think when you think about it overall. Well, I mean, it depends what. Yeah, what, 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 what will TCU too. contribute? So you know what's funny game? though? We're making a case about the over. Like I don't know, man, because TCU. So we're almost making a case that West Virginia is the bet. Oh, West Virginia. Because we're saying that this game can't go over because we don't know what TCU's offense is going to be able to do. Yeah. Feels like West Virginia's the bet then, yeah, right? I, I think we're all on West Virginia. I would Virginia. lay the points. Yeah, I yeah, would lay, I, I would lay the I points. Don't think, I don't think TCU's, a, 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 I want to say, a complete football team. To me, I think he's lost the team. He kicked off Cavante Turpin uh, a couple of weeks ago. Well, what Collins was, the, what was a, the high point for TCU this year? There you know hasn't was? been one. There was none. The high, Losing to Kansas? No, I, I was going to say the high point was kind of putting a little scare into Ohio State. But but now yeah, we're realizing yeah. a lot of teams are doing that to Ohio. That was the 40-28 yeah. to 28 loss. Yeah. And they had uh, the to lead, the Buckeyes. Right? They had the lead in yeah. that Yeah, for a while. Nebraska that, put that the was same the scare peak. into them, right? right? Right. So now that doesn't look as impressive as we no. thought. And again, offensively. It's just been a terrible year for them. It's yeah. one of those years where it's sort of imploded. You know what's tough, though? You have a bad year. It leads to two years. Suddenly, no one's going to your school anymore. He's going to have to put the bleeding and stop the bleeding quickly on this. Patterson put the fire has fire. a knack, though. He's had, if you look at historically, he's had those bad seasons. Yeah. And, I, and I like he's, that you're wearing TCU purple today. Yeah. He's had those bad seasons. Mark it down. Every he year. Re- and, and you he know rebounds very quickly. You're, you're exactly right. He's actually, you know, I, I look forward to reading this in Mark Lawrence's playbook next year. About, yeah. <laughs> you know, about uh, coach and how he responds after losing season. Because you're right. Yeah, he really has has been held to pay in the following seasons after. Yeah, he hasn't had consistency. It's been one up, one down, one yeah, up, no, one right, down. Yeah. So you remember the old days, guys, when TCU was in the Mountain West and it had like the rivalry with Boise and you know, everyone used to miss field goals all the time. They were sort of they were a defensive team. They weren't this offensive juggernaut or anything like that. Then their defense got bad. Where they gave up a million points, but suddenly they became this high, you know what I mean, this high-flying, Big 12-style offense. They really don't have an identity. 
you know, their, their identities have changed. Like, his team doesn't have that stamp. We're a smash-mouth, punch-you-in-the-mouth team. Sort of like, wow, we want to play defense, but we find ourselves playing in these 51-41 games every week. That's a great point. They don't have yeah. that identity. It's a great point because that that is the... That's the downside of joining the Big 12. I mean, yeah. I think TCU you belongs in the Big 12. Stuff. You get baited. You know, if you're going to join the Big 12, because their identity was sort of what we're used to with Utah, going right. back to when Utah yeah, was in the Mountain mouth, West. Smash you know, play exactly. action. Physical at the line of scrimmage, win with defense, win with a running game. That was TCU in the Ladanian past. Tomlinson, yeah. And it worked for them. Now, they got a taste of success. With Trevon Boykin, they opened things up, right? They had those 10-win seasons, and they're like, hey, wait, this, maybe this is the only way we can win in the Big 12. But now that, they've, now that they don't have Trevon Boykin, they just can't keep pace because, to your point, they don't have an identity. No. Yeah, and, that, and that's the same thing with Utah. Utah realized that in the Pac-12, and they made the transition away from the ground and pound, and it hurt them. Now, now entering this matchup. They with, even with, brought in a, a, an offensive coordinator who was completely – you know, the antithesis of right. what Kyle Whittingham would normally do. But they can't and, do it. Yeah. They, they can't sustain it for periods of time because, because they're because going they up against USC. And they, yes. They're going up against, they're going you know. up against the better athletes, but also they're not attracting those types of right. track star, four- and five-star players. They're right. getting the kids who are maybe a step slower, but they have the better hearts, the two-star, three-star kids, the try-hard kids. That has been the backbone of programs like Utah and TCU in the past. Most of TCU's guys that have gone to the NFL – Two-star kids. Right. The Andy Daltons of the world were not high-profile high school players. Right, and that's and that's why Bill Snyder did it at Kansas State. You see Mark Stoops doing it at Kentucky the old way because they get those type of blue-collar kids. And it's very rare that we see it in the wide-open aspect of college football. Let's be honest. Kids want to go to school where they can wear a thousand different uniforms, Gabe. You know it as well as anybody. They can catch the football on a backflip and tweet it out. Exactly. I think you know, kids almost want to They don't want to play the game anymore. No, and I think they'd rather almost play lose in a 55-45 game and score a couple of touchdowns than win, <laughs> maybe only getting three or four catches. It's just the reality. I mean, you know, you could be on a winning team and be part of the team and not pad your stats and then not, not get in the NFL, right? I mean, so some kids, they, they're playing for fun. They want to have fun. The whole one loss thing. I think, you know, hey, let's play in the Big 12. It's, it's fun. If we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. Yeah, I don't know how you play defense in the Big 12. They don't wrap up. Yeah, everything is like a seven-on-seven seven You know how you play defense in the Big 12? You play to uh, create turnovers. It, you, it, it, yeah. It's money plays. It's sacks. It's tackles behind the line. And it's turnovers. You're a successful defense in the Big 12 if you're creating takeaways and getting the ball back in the hands of your high-powered and that's, offense. And that's to go back to Texas when you said you, the defense has let you down. Malik Jefferson was a huge part of that defense last year. His ability to run sideline to sideline. And that was, I think, the one thing that you have to give somewhat to Charlie Strong. He was recruiting those type of defensive players. Maybe not offensively, but he was getting the type of talent defensively to compete in the Big 12. And when you looked at, looked at it statistically, they were only allowing 106 rushing yards per game last year. Now they're starting to go the other way with Tom Herman in year number two, where you think they would build it after that in year number one. And I think that's the biggest change. Well, this, this debate makes me excited for the Alabamas and the Michigans because Alabama and Michigan reminds us this year that you still have to play defense to be successful. Yep. I'll throw Notre Dame in there, too. Notre Dame's had a great defense yep. this year yep. as well. After Elko left, And too. Clemson. And Clemson. Clemson supposedly you, built on defense. You still have to play defense to compete for championships. So what Don Brown is doing at Michigan, 
with the way he's suffocating opposing offenses. Now, they're not playing in the Big 12, but he's facing some good offenses along the way. He'll get a shot against Dwayne Haskins in Ohio State in a couple of weeks. I like the fact that Alabama and Michigan still tells us, you know what, score your points, get up and down the field, create some, you know, some excitement, but you still have to play defense. Well, if it's Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan in the playoffs, and that's a big if, big, big if, still a lot of football left, that's a pretty traditional four, isn't it? No, there's no real spread gimmick offense in this. No, there's no Oklahoma. Pro there's defense. No, there's no Washington Pro-style sets for the most part. You could argue Alabama, ironically enough, are becoming the most sort of, and that's what makes them so dangerous right now, is reading other coaches. They basically said, you know, before you knew Alabama, they're going to run a play action. They're going to run a, a sweep. You know, they, they were, you know, they, you knew what they were going to do on offense for the most part. He said, now they're running these zone read options and you look at it, it's almost an Oregon type offense. And you know what's crazy, actually? Alabama are actually copying what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing. Yeah, they Alabama have, a have like watched. Tua. Alabama are watching the Chief games and they look at Tua like Mahomes. And I was reading like the old unnamed coaches. They're saying, man, now Dama's, uh, now they're like, it's, if it's not hard enough to stop them, they're emulating and they're copying what the Chiefs are doing. We're talking about saving being a genius. What did uh, what did Amadei, what did Mozart say? Good art is moral, great art is steel. Mm. Right? You don't think Saban sees deer. God, this is unstoppable. Let's do the same play. Well, he's, he's subtly ripping off the Chiefs, who have subtly ripped off Kingsbury. It's amazing how there's just this musical chairs going on. Gabe, what kind of an impact will that have on recruiting, too? Because a quarterback's in the, anywhere in the country, because Alabama can get players from anywhere. Now that quarterback who... You know, maybe is the second coming of a Tua or the second coming yeah. of a Marcus Mariota. Maybe now he says they're going to allow me to open up. This isn't the days of Greg McElroy and AJ McCarron. If I'm, if I'm a uh, if I'm a recruiter, I'm a scout, man. Right now, I'm in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in Hawaii. Some pretty good quarterback, who's, uh, coach. Who's uh, who's the next kid on the depth chart here? Who, who do you got coming through the How program? Mackenzie Milton, right? Yeah, Hawaii yeah. native at UCF. Another Hawaii. They have huh? Navy today. That's an intriguing game too. That uh, that's an, Navy's Navy. been a gross disappointment. I know, but they're I, catching I mean, twenty five to UCF. I think they. I, I think they. I don't know if Navy's there. a gross disappointment or they were just. Great overachievers in past years, but why not? This I don't year? think Navy what, what are ever supposed to be that good, and they actually were, which is a great accomplishment. Maybe they've raised the, maybe they've yeah, raised you know their what expectations I mean? better than they were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Navy's not supposed to compete with Notre Dame. They're not supposed to compete with these schools, but they were. You can't sustain that forever. And now Army's taking the uh, taking yeah. the throne for the well, for the service academy. Credit them. I mean, after the them, they thing. can't win that Navy game. To they might win three in a row now. Yeah. Well, I mean, Army's clearly the better team. They're doing it defensively too. Navy's defense is like a civil over yeah. the last. Yeah. You know, the Air Force has sort of years. been lost for a few years. Yeah, man. The uh, Army. We black- haven't talked about Air Force. We're talking about it much so, no. and Troy Calhoun in quite some time. I mean, they have not entered the they mix the way any meaningful Navy games that we talk about. But speaking out there, they how about Boise State last night, though? That was big a big comeback. Quality, that was a quality win over Marcus McMarion and the team in Fresno State that just dominates the competition, especially from the Fresno Vegas was angle. a better football team for three quarters or so, and then boom, man, blue turf. It, yeah. every now and then, you know, does that blue uh, turf magic? The Smurf and, uh, turf. <laughs> it steps up and makes a play. I got to pause through my say. picks, guys, because I got to get there to the train. I apologize. Great show, a lot of fun this morning. But you guys know the drill. You ever been out to Piscataway, Joe? Of course, I, I was actually. I was at the game when they knocked off Louisville. So was oh, I. Really? I was Thursday third, night. I was there too. Front row. We bought those tickets for thirty dollars in August of uh, like right before 
the year started. So it's not not exactly the easiest place to get to, is it? No. But but <laughs> it, it it was rocking that night back in 2006, and we you know people were storming the field, and that they had Eric Shelton, Lionel Gates, they had Stephen Lafleur's at, at quarterback. I mean, that I remember Stephon Lafleur. I was, was also going to go to the, the Bills. I'm a Bills fan, so right. I was going to make it a football weekend. Gates was there. Gates was a former Bill. Lionel Gates. Yeah, but I'll be I'll be in studio tomorrow for the NFL stuff. But basically, there's there's one train an hour to get out there. And the train takes an hour. So if I don't get this 12 o'clock or 1210 train or whatever, and I'm pushing it to two, I got to get a shuttle. So Your gonna, tailgate is ruined. If, yeah, if I want to enjoy the experience. I want to get out there. And especially I'm hearing they don't sell beer inside the stadium. I don't know what I'm going to do. But uh, I, don't, I'm, I guess I'm going to do what the students do, binge drink before I go in. <laughs> but all kidding aside, I am going to the football game. Let's get to my best bets of the day here. I got quite a few early bets here. I'm going to start off with Mississippi plus the 13. We were talking about this game earlier, guys. I just don't understand why Texas A&M would be this big of a favorite. So we're going to go with Mississippi plus the points. Uh, we're going to go South Carolina, Florida under 54. South Carolina, South Carolina and Florida under. Guys, you know me. I never bet college football unders, but I just don't think there's going to be points in this game. Wisconsin and Badgers, Penn State have shown us nothing uh, to uh, justify laying uh, eight points in this spot. Give me uh, Bedlam. Give me the Oklahoma State Cowboys. We talked about the last eight times that these two teams have played in Bedlam. Uh, the Sooners have only won by more than 21 and a half points twice. I think they win by 14, 17 or so in a high-scoring game. Give me, uh, give me the pokes. Give me the over 80 points. Hail to the victor, Wolverine. We're going to lay it to 37, 37 and a half points with Michigan. The last time they were there, they beat them 78 nothing. Uh, I, you know, I've already put this bet in. I'm hoping that Michigan's offense doesn't have a slow start because I know that Rutgers really isn't going to score, but I need Michigan to get to 23 in the first half. 23 nothing. I hope. I got 23. You guys can get a better number now at 22. I already bet it. It's down to 22 in the first half right now. Lay it with Michigan. Alabama are 9-0, guys, against the spread in the first half this year. Lay the 14 points with Alabama in the first half. I'm going to go with Georgia Tech uh, tonight. Yeah, this hurricane team's in a uh, Tom Petty free fall. We're against each other in that one. Yeah, no, I, I like Miami also, actually. <laughs> yeah, you guys have often been right when we've gone against each other. So. Did we make you nervous by no, saying a little bit? No, continue, continue. I don't love this game. It's Georgia Tech, but <laughs> Miami aren't very good, all right? They're honoring Calvin uh, Johnson and ha- Good and for Hampton. them. Uh, well, that's that's your that's your that's yeah, no. for you. <laughs> Texas and Texas Tech. Over under sixty one. Uh give me the over. And uh, I don't know about this one. I sort of got buyer's remorse already. What about Boston College plus 19 tonight? Mm, 7-2 against the spread. Why? They're 7-2 ATS. So why, but why would you be remorseful of that? I took NC State and got my ass handed to me against Clemson a couple of weeks. Yeah, but they're at home. It's a little bit different. NC State was on I'm the humble, road. I'm humble, Joe. That's why. I should come out like Joe. Boston College by double digits, no, Rich. I don't, I don't like Boston yeah, College. Yeah, what's the, what's the, before I get what's the, what's the Joey Lisi double digit special? I, well, I like Florida State. That's one of mine. I like Miami. All right. All right. No, Flo- no. Oh, uh, okay, double right. digits? I think, I think Miami could be that double digit player. I mean, uh, again, they're catching three and a half. They have the speed to contain the triple option. So that's why what I like yeah. the Michigan game. What? what do you oh, I would take Michigan. I would lay. I would, I would lay the points. I mean, if you're asking, you're asking Michigan to score. What do you think the going to be? Michigan needs to score for 42. Uh, uh, yeah, over. they do not like each other. I can tell you that for a fact because 
Two facts. When he did the satellite camps in New Jersey, he oh, yeah. pissed a lot of people off, including Chris Ash, and that's how he got Shiano and Urban Meyer to run their own camp the same week as Jim Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh does have Chris Partridge on staff, who was supposed to get the Rutgers job and did not get it. Under Kyle Flood. They're saying Harbaugh won't be shy of running up the score. Because he didn't get the job because all the high school coaches in Jersey said if Partridge gets the job. Oh, we're going to black. Yeah. yeah, And you know who Partridge was the coach for Rashawn Gary and Jabril Peppers. So Harbaugh does not get along with Ash. Don't let it. There's no sugarcoating there. They won 35. You know what? The whole thing of why Rutgers are in the Big Ten. It's for recruiting purposes. Michigan want to come here, yeah, kick the crap out of them, yeah. and pluck the best players out of the sure. state on the way out. Yeah. Look at Saquon Barkley from the area, Penn State. Jonathan Taylor from the area, Wisconsin right now. All these great players are playing in the Big Ten. Yeah. We'll see, Gabe. Safe travels. When we come back, Rich and I will be talking about the other games later today. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Back on College Football Today, Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, and Gabe Marenzi. Gabe on his way to Rutgers. That's that's going to be fantastic. I, He's going to be our man on the beat. He's going to give us some live uh, live on live me. updates from Piscataway. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh wearing a hat. Here we are. I'm just minutes away from Jim Harbaugh. Can you imagine I feel that? like I could touch <laughs> him. Can you imagine the first update? It's like... Uh, Rutgers up 17-0 on, on... Why isn't Gabe going in khaki pants in honor of Jim Harbaugh? Oh, he should. He, he should, should wear, he should wear khaki pants. pants and black cleats. Yep, black cleats and, 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 the, uh, and those, uh, those uh, Woody Hayes glasses. <laughs> he should, it's a little after Halloween, but it would have been fun to see yes, that. Yes, well, I'm happy for Gabe. He yes. gets to see his Wolverines. I would have went with him. He asked me to go. I, I just have to go back home uh, a little bit later. But I mean, that's going to be a good matchup. It's about 35 degrees. It's football weather, and there'll be a turnout to see Jim Harbaugh and oh, Michigan. Yeah. I mean, New Jersey well, fans now. love college football. Especially now, you got a team that's top four. Yeah, I mean, top four. I mean, they're they're cruising towards what. I think will be a playoff spot. Yeah, and, and and high school playoffs underway for the state of New Jersey. So I'm sure a lot of high school kids will turn out to see uh, yeah. to see the number three and number four team uh, in the country take on Rutgers a little bit later today. Joe, quickly, the Rutgers offensive futility Horrible. is going to be is just going to be. They may not they may not produce a hundred yards of total offense. Hundred? I, I was going to say like forty total yeah. offense. Well, think about what Trace McSorley and, and uh, Trace McSorley and Penn State had it like 186. Rutgers is averaging. All right, here we 120 go. 120 on the. Here we go. All we talk about is gambling. Under over 100 yards. Rutgers. What are you taking? Under. 
I'll take the over. You're going to take the over. All right, so we'll do we'll do <laughs> little a little Gemini's bet here. Yeah, we'll do a, yeah, I'll take Rutgers. a dollar or yeah. whatever. Yeah, okay. we'll do that. All right. Yeah, we'll do that. I, I think gonna, Rutgers will get about 114 well, yards of the total gloves are off. They're saying, here's the thing. I mean, here's why I like Michigan in that. I mean, they've covered against Wisconsin. They've covered against Northwestern at home. I mean, they were 20-point underdogs and pushed Wisconsin to the limit. Wisconsin, uh, not Wisconsin, Northwestern won that ball game. Oh, you like Rutgers 50. covering? No, I don't. I, oh, okay. I mean, now Michigan comes to town. They're not going to take them lightly. I mean, they've played some close games uh, with some of the other teams within right. the conference. That's why I think they get pasted. Oh, uh, this today. looks like a 49-3. to Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if they score. I mean, 50, I mean you think they're going to get 100 yards of total offense? Yeah, now, now see, now, the good part about this is now I have a reason to, to watch, watch the second, game. <laughs> the second half of the Rutgers game. We'll see, that's what, that's what it's all about. We'll see. It's a 3.30 kick, right? Yes, uh, it is 3.30. 3.30 kick. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it's on FS1, so... Or Big Ten Network, check that game out. We'll turn our attention to the SEC East battle between South Carolina and Florida. I said before that South Carolina has won three of the last five over the Gators by 5.1 points per game. Picked up this win last year in Columbia, 28-20. to I'm not sold on South Carolina. It's back-to-back road games for the Gamecocks. Allowed over 500 yards of total offense to Ole Miss last week in that victory in Oxford. I think Florida gets back to basics. The hangover from homecoming is over. They they win this ball game ten to thirteen points over South Carolina. Yeah, I like Florida too, but you know I'm getting confused by the Gators. Yeah. You know they're they're down after the Kentucky loss. They're they're up after the LSU win. They're back down again. It's one thing to lose to Missouri, which is an average football team, but to lose at home and to get pasted as bad as they did. Now I head into week. 11 and thinking to myself, I don't know what to expect from this team. You know, offensively, yeah. they're challenged. They can run the ball. They have some physicality. I'll take Florida. I can't consider it a best bet. And again, a lot is going to hinge on that passing game. If Dan Mullen wants to get Florida back to where Florida was under the Spurrier days, under the Urban Meyer days, away from the Ron Zook days, you need a quarterback. You need you need a passing game. And when was the last time they had a potent offense? You go back to Tim Tebow. It's been way too long. So that's what it comes down here. It's big for Will Muschamp, but think about it. They've won back-to-back games, close against Tennessee, yeah. close against Ole Miss, gave up a lot of points. I'll take Florida, but it's it's six and a half. I think it, I think it may pay, play close to ten. It's gonna be a close yeah, game. Yeah, I agree. It could be a seven point game much of the way. But that defense that's only given up 174 passing yards per game. I think they attacked Jake Bentley and that offense forced them into long third down situations. And I do think Florida prevails at 12 o'clock in Gainesville. Turn our attention to Gardner, Minsu, and the Stash. In Boulder later today, this is going to be a very intriguing battle. You remember this battle two years ago. Both teams had a chance to win a Pac-12 title. Uh, Colorado pushed Washington State to the limit. They got the victory in this ballgame. I think Washington State is focused. They showed me something, the resolve of Gardner Minshew last week. And credit Tracy Clays in this defense. I think they're legit. I mean, in terms of third down defense, their ability to force turnovers is why Washington State wins this matchup in Boulder. Yeah, you know, I, I look at Washington State, Joe, and, and two veterans come to mind. One, two veterans and two newcomers. One is Tracy Clays and the job he's done defensively. No household names, no blue chippers, and yet they're an aggressive defense. They attack. They get after the backfield. They'll create turnovers and get the ball back to the offense. And then the other one, obviously, is Gardner Minshew. I I think from an individual standpoint, 
this might be the best story that we've seen in college football. He has brought a steadiness, that veteran leadership, that ability to operate Mike Leach's offense, and they're just sort of inching closer to a Pac-12 North title. And if they get to the Pac-12 championship game, they'll be favored over whoever wins the South. So great story out in Washington State. Colorado, a bit of a surprise. Early in the year, they look great. They've lost four straight games. What's even worse is the defense has fallen apart. The secondary guys is banged up. This is not the kind of matchup you want when you're facing Washington State and all of those good, skilled wide receivers that they have. So even on the road, even laying points, I like Washington State. Yeah, I do too. You mentioned the secondary for Colorado. They're allowing 235 passing yards per game. And you look at Washington State entering this ballgame averaging 397 passing yards against opposing defenses. And you talk about Minshew, Rich. I mean, he's completing 70% of his passes, 3,517 yards, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. We talk about Greer. We talk about Herbert. But if they do run the table, do you think he's invited to New York? I mean, Bryce Love was last year. You got to bring this kid up for some Heisman love. I hope he does, Joe. I I really do. You know I have involvement with with the Maxwell Football Club, which is sort of like the Golden Globes compared to the Oscars in terms of individual awards. You're starting to me. You have me thinking of Tony Randall right now in the Tonys. The odd couple, one of my all-time favorite shows. But that's why we get along. We are the odd couple. Can two men do college football (laughs) today without driving each other crazy? Yeah, the answer is no. Um, Yeah, I... I look at it through the eyes of what we do with the Maxwell, and and he's a, he's a player that's starting to get some love, but it's hard because people yeah. don't know who he is. He's out on the West Coast. They play a lot of late games. He has no runway. Nobody knew who he was entering the season, but I think he's one of four chief candidates. I mean, Tua looks like he's running away with individual awards. Kyler Murray, Will Greer. I think Gardner Minshew has to be the fourth man in that mix. Well, let's talk a, a little bit deeper. Let's say they run the table. They become Pac-12 champions. One loss is to USC with three points. If we have a situation, I'm just saying, where we have a two-loss SEC team, who gets into the college football? Because I think you have to, if it comes down to Michigan, it comes down to a Big Ten champ, and we're going to put them in, and now we have a one-loss Pac-12 champion that only who, lost. Who would, the, who would the two-loss SEC team be? Would it be, would would it be, it be Georgia, Georgia losing Georgia, a game? Let's say Georgia loses tonight. And let's then upsets say. Alabama. Right. What happens then? What happens then because Georgia pushed Alabama to the limit, had that game. They should have won that game, but they allowed it to slip. What happens in, in terms of that? That's, that's, the, that's the controversy that we're going to run into. I, I think the SEC team gets the nod. Okay, what happens if it's Ohio State with one loss or Washington State with one loss as a Big Ten champion? And they're probably going to give it to Ohio State. They probably will. but Just uh, based on reputation. And they and, don't like Mike Leach either. You know, I, mean, and, and the, I, I know, I love Mike Leach, by the way. But you, know, you know what the committee oftentimes is thinking, too, in terms of there's a human side of this, which is who is, who is less likely to make us look bad in the playoffs? Would it be Ohio State, despite the fact that they look bad against Clemson? Yeah. Um, 30, what was that, 30, 37 to nothing in that ballgame? I'd have to, to go big check, but, yeah, but it was obviously one-sided. Matchup. Uh, hey, would it be Ohio State, or, or are we comfortable putting Washington State into the mix, potentially against the number one seed, whoever that would be at that? Maybe it's Clemson at that time if Alabama loses. I think it's a tall order for Washington State, and that's okay. I mean, I— Washington State, in my opinion, Mike Leach, those kids, Gardner Minshew, I think they have a more rewarding end of the season, believe it or not, going to the Rose Bowl 
facing off as the big uh, as the Pac-12 champ, playing in Pasadena as opposed to potentially getting rocked in a playoff game. Well, here's the thing: I hope the committee does when they when they value these teams. If you had a match up Ohio State and Washington State. Ohio State struggle with Purdue's type of offense. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I mean, if I'm looking at the body of work, forget you know strength of schedule and everything else aside. Let's just say take that out of the equation. If I'm looking at this from a football matchup, and I have a Big Ten champion, or let's say it's Michigan, but but more so Ohio State, they struggle with Purdue. Washington State could give them problems if they played. That's so, a winnable game for so that's Washington a win- State. Winnable game. Yeah. So why wouldn't you give uh, you know Washington State the opportunity? I'm just saying if it, if if you break it down that way, yeah. that's all things being equal. I think the committee is going to choose the blue blood. They would because they I, want I think the they're going to choose ratings. the blue blood program over I, over the upstart. Yeah, and that yeah. and that that's what I think. This game is high scoring. I, I, I think we've seen a couple of low-scoring games out yeah. of Washington State. Keep an eye out for James oh, Williams. Oh, this will be high-scoring. Yeah, James Williams is a guy to keep an eye out on. I mean, 47 receptions, over 400 yards. He could be utilizing the short-intermediate passing game. I think he'll be a difference maker in this matchup. The, the low-scoring anomaly that, that folks saw against Cal was due to the fact that Justin Wilcox is doing a tremendous yes. job with that Cal defense. Cal is shutting down a lot of opposing offenses. So it'll be interesting to see what the Bears do against USC. I know it's not a prime game, but do you have any thoughts on Cal-USC? I like USC in this matchup. Ugh, yeah. Cal going into the Coliseum, Aka Cedric Ware now running the ball well for USC, so they have some kind of a running game to complement JT Daniels. I'll take USC, but Justin Wilcox very quietly doing a nice job for the Bears. Fantastic. I mean, the one thing I think when you break down the USC game, I mean, first of all, they're dead to me, so I already said that. Secondly, they've won 10 straight over Cal. They won this matchup. 30 to 20 last year, uh, I believe, as 17 and a half point favorites in Berkeley. They did not cover. But Cal is looking to become bowl eligible. And I w- was very impressed with Cal last week in Pullman. The way they contained Gardner Minshew and forced that offense to work down the field. Now, you have a quarterback in JT Daniels that, to me, still hasn't lived up to the hype. I mean, I see the raw potential, but his decision-making against better defenses, for me, is a question mark. And now you're talking about a defense in Cal that is only allowing about 140 rushing yards per game, 174 passing yards to opposing offenses, and they have one of the most underrated running backs we know in Patrick Laird. I like this team. I, granted, I know they're only catching around three and a half, four points, but I'm just not sold on the physicality of USC. So I took Cal in this matchup. I think they win the game outright. I, I think there's a sense of urgency for Clay Helton at this yeah. point. I mean, he knows that he's moving forward. Gun. Yeah, I mean, think about the, he's got Cal this week. You want to talk high profile in terms of his job prospects moving forward. You got UCLA and Chip Kelly. Imagine right. losing to Chip Kelly, a one-win team in Kelly's debut at UCLA next week. And then you have the high-profile game with with Notre Dame. Yeah. It could be an unbeaten Notre Dame team. So this is this is a stretch run for Clay Helton that could decide his future at USC. It begins against Cal. I like USC in this matchup. I just think Cal doesn't have enough offensively. They've had that revolving door at quarterback. Laird is a nice running back, but no complimentary passing game. Enough athletes, in my opinion. And although I agree with you on JT Daniels, he's been a little slow to kind of get on the tarmac. This is the second half of his freshman season, so we should start to see more competent play out of him. Yeah, and you talk about Cal Garbers as an inconsistent quarterback. I thought Bowers should have won the job uh, for Justin Wilcox. He led that team last year. I mean, the one big piece... 
and a terrible decision, Rich. You talk about kids making poor decisions. Demetrius Robertson moving from Cal, where he was the leading receiver a few years ago, had some playing time last year. Hasn't played a lick for Georgia. Yeah, you know uh, that's a big loss to that. Could offense. have been a personal decision yeah. to come closer to home. You know he was far away hasn't from been home. Utilize at all. Yeah, though. I mean that's the one. And, thing. And, and he has more eligibility. Yeah. Maybe he's the kind of player that in 2019 blossoms a little bit as a battery mate for for Fromm and for Justin yeah. Fields. So. You know, uh, and who who knows? Maybe he also sensed that the quarterback situation was a mess. Yeah, could have been. And his his play would have been hurt because yeah. of that. You know, one of the odd decisions for me is Brandon McIlwain. I mean, Brandon McIlwain coming out of South, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, right? Yeah, first he starts at South Carolina. He was a Maxwell. We met you. He was one of your exactly. players of the year. Yeah, exactly. Kid from from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, won one of our local awards, Player of the Year for the for the tri-state area for high school kids. He just hasn't developed. He's just not a passer. You start to wonder if a kid like that needs to switch positions because he's he's athletic, but as a passer, he is just terrible. See, now he, when you, not to go off topic here, but he's the type of quarterback because of his athleticism that you would think that Willie Taggart would utilize in that type of scheme, in that type of offense. And he left because Jake Bentley obviously took over the helm and is a more complete quarterback and pocket passer. But it's not the M.O. of Will Muschamp to run that yeah. type of offense as well. So maybe he saw the writing on the wall, and that's why he bolted for Cal. But I agree with you. West Coast, you know, he's an East Coast kid, and, and, and Cal doesn't even run that type of offense. If anything, it's more of a pro-style set with Justin Wilcox yep. running the football and working off a of play action. So we'll see how that game plays out. I'm intrigued to see. It's a 10-30 kick in USC. It's a big you game know. for Cal. Yeah, it is. I, I, mean, I talk about this a lot. bowl eligible as yeah, well. Yeah, a couple of things to pay attention to this time of year, especially when you're, when you're wagering on games, is watch those teams that have five wins. Because to get from five to six, six being bowl eligibility in college football, for certain programs, for the Cals that are not there often, it matters. Yeah. Now, if you're five and four and you're a Michigan State type team, yeah, you want to play a bowl game, but you're not kind of jacked up to get that sixth right. win. Cal, though, Baylor at five wins. Those types of programs that have faced some hardship in recent years and they can get over the hump and still be playing football in December, that is a massive motivator for those teams. And that's what I look at when I pick them overall. I mean, they got the victory over Washington, you know, 12 to 10, a hard fought victory. Now, top team in the Pac 12 is Washington State. Push them to the limit. Yeah. I think they're yeah. peaking at you. I'll tell you this if they lose this ball game to USC, I think they get the victory over Stanford. I'm not sold on Stanford in terms of physicality. If Stanford can't run the football against Cal, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But no, but Cal is right for the picking. Very well, yeah. very well I'm sorry, against Stanford. Stanford. Stanford right yeah. for the picking in yeah. that matchup. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see. I mean, Stanford, uh, you know, Isaiah Whiteside out for that game against uh, Oregon State, so keep an eye out for that. I want to touch on this ball game, Iowa-Northwestern. Northwestern, to me, a one-dimensional offense. They lost to Notre Dame last week by 10 points. We're catching nine and a half. I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes here. I think Nate Stanley, that offense. The one thing I think is Northwestern only averaging 95 rushing yards per game. That goes into Iowa's strength, and they'll find a way to cover this number. Yeah, I know we'll we'll get to it on the backside of this break, uh, which is coming up, but uh, it's another situation like Wisconsin and Penn State. It's a curiously yeah, high line. It is. Uh, Iowa laying as many points as they are to Northwestern, which has been consistently good. I'll give some numbers when we come back, but consistently good against Big Ten competition. That could continue next hour we'll be talking about iowa and northwestern all the 3 30 and 8 o'clock kicks keep it where it is